Yeah, no, well, I just want to say thanks for coming on, man. Anyway, appreciate you. Yeah, uh, mate, not a problem. Coming on for a chat. We've had a couple of pretty good chats before, so I thought, yeah. you know, there's a guy I wouldn't mind chatting with a bit more. So <laughs> wait, till, you... wait till we're finished before you make that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're saying well, then you're going back to work in um, next week, so I thought, yeah, we better. Oh, tomorrow, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, tomorrow yeah. for eight yeah. weeks. So yeah. So what do you? So what do you do for work? So, no, my um, my work is uh, timber flooring. So um, no, I, yeah. I was over on site today. And it's raining here in. in um, in Brisbane today and just checking sites to make sure it's right and getting it all prepped and there's not much I can do until it's prepped and now we've got water leaks inside the house so I can only work upstairs not downstairs and yada 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 all that sort of stuff yeah. so but once it kicks a, off I'll be um, good, uh, flat out. I've got a good timber flooring story so I was painting this lady and I'll just make up names because I don't remember the stuff but <laughs> some, some rich lady and we're doing this rich area we're painting the place these guys put the floor down you know she comes in one morning and she goes, oh, you know what? I, I, I think you're right. I think I would prefer to like Canadian oak or whatever, right? So rip up the, you know, Tasmanian oak and put the Canadian one down. And these guys oh. were just like, oh, my God. And she was like, she's oh, God, I'm happy to pay for it and all that. And these yeah. guys are all shell-shocked, you know, and they're outside. Yep. And then the builder's talking. And then lady comes back in, you know, like, what's the problem? And she said, look, these, you're going to have to find a new floor guy. These guys yeah. are not going to rip up their work. Yep. And I just thought that that was interesting that how nobody likes undoing their own work regardless of financial gain. Well, it, it, I, we've always been, and from, even from when I started, the answer was, can you do that? If the question was asked, if you can do that, the answer is always yes. Yeah. And it is always yes, um, but it's always dictated by how much you're going to pay to do that. And when people were willing to pay, then we were willing to do it. Mm. So <laughs> that's how it sort of works, I guess. But yeah. anyway, so how long have you job. done that for? for uh, oh, 25 years now. Yeah, I've been oh, doing right. it for 25 years. So well, I'm starting to, get, starting to get good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I did a whole host of things um, from from starting out like as a working career. I kicked off in photography. So oh. um was very keen on that. You know, left school, went to art college and thought this is a bunch of dope smoking hippies that Hmm. I, I, I'm doing a course where they want me to illustrate sound via ripped paper on the floor. And I'm sitting there going, what? Yeah. This is not for me. <laughs> and uh, I had a local camera store that I'd sort of got to know the guys with when I was at school and so forth. And I just walked in through the front door and basically said, look, do you have any jobs? I'm interested in a job. I want to leave art college. And they said, oh, yeah, we could probably find something for you. You know, yeah. When can you start? And I said, oh, I'll probably just give me a week to, um, to to get everything sorted at the art college and get out and get sorted and kick off. We could go from there, I reckon. He said, I'll give you a day. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. And I started work. Um, so cameras and then uh, from there, it was obvious that business was going downhill and I, I, I went over and worked. I had to get a job very quickly and my dad was a pathologist. So I got a job in the x-ray department of the hospital um, processing x-rays, because which is just like big black and white negatives. So it was, that was pretty easy. Did that for a while, left there, went to the police force. And then while I was, while I was there at the hospital too, I, I also got part-time job stacking roof tiles off the plants <laughs> on weekends, making as much money in two days as I did in five at the yeah. at the hospital. And um, went to the police force for a number of years. And uh, I did some, at that time, I did some driving courses and I, I actually got a part-time job doing advanced driver training down at the the drive center for Frank Gardner. 
Um, and I did that for well over 10 years on a part-time basis, which was which was absolutely fantastic. You got to meet so many different people in so many different ways and motorsport identities and all this, that sort of stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And um, But the, the service had some issues um, with my the, the other people in my family who may not have done the right thing. And uh, okay. um, that created a, uh, a, a logistical issue for the service in which basically halted my career and it was never going to go anywhere from there so i found out um and from there it was like well i can't do anything about it this is the service will deny it but this is what they do and i I, i'd got that from higher up and so it was like okay so a mate of mine who'd been in the police force and then left and gone floor sanding and i thought he said well you lay them and i'll i'll sand them but yep that's cool and away we went and um okay. yeah i left and that's what i've that's what i've done ever since so okay. i've moved on from that company and, and just worked for myself as a sole trader now but and, and a subcontract out so i get time off to do this sort of thing every now and again and then i um sometimes i work you know head down tail up quite hard is it, and is yeah. it pretty seasonal or is it pretty steady all year uh, it's it's um it's it's pretty steady. You have your you, you have your ups and downs. Like there's always a quiet time just after Christmas when all the builders yeah. go on holidays, or you know, and all building sort of stuff stops. There's that rush up to Christmas where everybody wants to get their floor in yeah. um, because they're having Christmas at their house this year, and doing the floors is just has to happen before Christmas so they can show them off to everybody. And then you have this weird thing at tax time in the middle of the year <laughs> where for two weeks. Yeah. There's no work. Yeah, at, at least too, one week every year, and there's no. This this would be the first year out of twenty five that I've actually gone back to work, but I've had a little gap, you know, right right after financial new year, and I, I can't figure it out. There's no rhyme or reason for it. People yeah. just stop for two Pro- weeks. Probably project approvals because same thing kind of happened when I was painting full time. Same thing. It's a mad rush up till Christmas, then it drops off, and then it slowly picks up until about yeah middle of the year and then winter it goes a bit quiet but yeah tax time a lot of government stuff too doesn't come through until takes them a couple yeah. of weeks yeah it's it's really weird though because because we don't do too much in the way of government contract we're always pretty much private contractors okay. um, and it's just yeah. weird how it works um mm. I, I don't really know why it doesn't make sense and and the other thing that is um the other thing that uh, a very wise man explained to me once, because everyone say, oh, the building industry is booming. You must be flat out. And we're going, yeah, no, we're not. And then you'll get to the point where they say, oh, the building industry is in a financial slump. It's terrible for everybody. You guys mustn't have any work. And we're flat out. Yeah. <laughs> and what it comes down to is when interest rates go up and the housing market slows, People can't afford to buy their house to, to maintain their houses, so they sell them. Rich people buy those houses yeah. and renovate, yeah. and people who are contemplating building decide that it's too expensive to build, so they will renovate. So when the building industry yeah. is in a slump, yeah, home a different group of people are out there spending money, and that's when we boom. Yeah. So. That's yeah, how it works. Yeah, right. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's not that different, really. But I kind of, I kind of got sick of the feast or famine nature of it. It's sort of like, yeah, it's like I was like, I just. The other thing is, I never really got into it, planning to be long term. It was like mm. I'll just do it for a while and then do something else, and then you mm. blink, 
and 30 years goes past. <laughs> so, I know, right? Yeah, I, know, I don't know how this. that happened to me, but, yeah. but I, I, um, I enjoy it because I get to do, I get to do me, you yeah, know, okay. and I'm, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at what I do, yeah. and so that has given me longevity in in employment. Even though I'm older now, I'm not as fast as a 25 year old. I have the wisdom and knowledge to still lay at a, at a very fast rate compared to the average person. And I, I work by myself, so I, I see every board that goes on the floor. Yeah. So, you know, you don't accept that there's a little mistake or you don't have to be watching somebody else. That's why I don't employ other people. So, yeah, you're mostly by yourself, eh? I am by yeah. myself all the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And some people look at you and go, you're know, you doing this all by yourself? You need an offside. Yeah, well, that's a great idea, but mm, no. you've got to pay superannuation and holiday pay and sick leave pay and, and oh, oh, I don't see myself not... coming into work tomorrow because you know, I've had a big night on the night before, you know, just when I need you. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not just hard. that as well. Like I literally was just having a phone conversation before we started this with a mate of mine, Corbett, um, who's uh, one of my tradie mates. Hmm. And he was saying the thing is, he said, you know, any good trade generally works, ends up working on their own, right? And yep. he said, but because what it is, is he explained like this. He said, your time is your own. Yes. And what he gave his example for that, right? He was like, you know, he got all, he's doing a bunch of doors yesterday, right? And he got them all ready, 15 doors, undercoated, sanded, all sheeted up, all ready to go. All he had to do was gloss them, right? Mm. And it was like quarter to like knockoff time or whatever, right? So he just did them. And he said it took him like 35, 40 minutes or something, right? That's right. But he said the next day when he got there, he was like, thank fuck I painted those doors yesterday afternoon. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Whereas if you work for someone else, you tend not to, do those you know things you would it was a quarter two you'd just be like ah oh, we'll just pack up yeah pack up we'll go that, look exactly that and i worked like as a contractor for the last a company that i worked for and and i'd go and do jobs there'd be sometimes i'd say oh look the the apprentices are struggling can you go and give them a hand mm. sure um now when i lay i lay on meterage so when a board hits the floor i'm earning money if i'm standing around talking i'm earning nothing yeah right but at the rate i can earn quite well through a day right yeah but when i'm working with apprentices that's right the boss says well you know i'll just put you on a day rate and he told me what the day rate was which is is just a whisker uh just a whisker over half of what i can earn in a day and he's Mm -hmm. going well okay when i've laid that amount of floor what's the motivation to do more because i'm actually not earning any more money i'm so used to earning you know the more you do the more you earn that's as simple as it is so that's good motivation but when you're on a day rate you're sitting there going well I've, yeah. I've, I've laid that amount of floor that I would normally get paid. Now I'm just doing this for the boss and he's gaining the profit. What's the point? You know, Completely I, I different mindset. It, it really is. And you yeah. just think, well, I mean, and if I think that, and I do my best not to do that because I believe in value for money and what you give and getting paid appropriately for what you do. But, you know, if I do that, how many other people would think that way? So why do I want to work for us, have somebody working for me who goes, He's going to be looking at me, going, "Oh, you're making a fortune out of out of me laying this compared to what you know you get and what I get." And, I'll, and you know, they don't care about your tools and yeah. you know. When I think they, that's when one of the best things tools, about yeah. being a being a tradie too is that you get because a lot of other jobs, right? They don't get that experience of you know the faster you go, the more you make kind of thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. Whereas they're just like uh, you know same job, same pay kind of thing. And like there's yep. 
bad things about it too. But yeah, sometimes I think people, if people, the world would be a better place if people could experience that for themselves. Oh, look, absolutely, because the, the people that are genuinely motivated become, and, and I mean, there's different levels of motivation, isn't there? You know, there's, there's like I looked at it and thought, I could go and start my own flooring company, but I would expect somebody to sell floors like I've sold floors. I would expect somebody to install mm. floors like I install floors. I would expect somebody to deal with the public like I deal with the public. Yeah. That means I need two more of me, at least. Now, I understand what that what I deserve for what I get paid, so they're going to deserve the same. It puts a lot of pressure on you, and then you've got to deal with everybody. Oh, I'm not going to pay, and oh, I want this, and oh, I want that, and yeah, you know, I've, I've been to... in all. Yeah, why do you want to do that? Yeah, the other thing, <laughs> you know, like a guy I contracted off a lot on my career, Colsey, he had he had anything from like a couple of guys up to like twenty, twenty five, thirty at times. Yep. And I remember sitting down at the end of his career, and we were talking about, it and he was like, I, oh, he was like, mate, it, it was the same. You're better off just like with sort of like two to five. Because he yes. goes, you make the same amount of money yes. as when you got twenty or thirty, but yes. you do like half the work. Because you're you're paying all of them all that money that you're out there earning for all it's the, the jobs. Too, you, get. You, know? you can imagine the if, you've got, if you've got if you've done five different yeah. sites and some shit, yep. something happens on each site, there's your yep. day. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I'm lucky enough to actually now be subcontracting to a company that was around when I first started, and they were sort of our competition. We were the two main timber flooring um, installation and sanding companies in Brisbane and um, this guy who owns it has now got his son running it and he's got a different business venture and I've actually gone back to I've gone to them and subcontracting to them had a chat to them and sort of you know we talked about old times and everything's backwards and forwards and you know they've actually taken me on board and for me they understand what an installer goes through to get a job started and they actually price their jobs and have enough in each job to be able to employ, not outside of the, the person that's in the office running the business or the salesperson. They've got one guy who goes around yeah. and he makes sure that every job has every all the materials, it's measured correctly. He yeah. visits the site before the start. They make sure it's clear, it's clean, it's ready to start on the day, or it's a, I get a phone call saying, Mike, don't come to work, it's not ready. Mm. And, and that's all he, he does. Makes, I do. That's what he does. And I walk onto site, and and I know that the materials are going to arrive that morning within probably half an hour of me getting there. Yeah. So all I might have to do is sweep off the floor or bring my tools in, and the truck pulls up, and the timber's being unloaded. It's put wherever I want it. It's carried in if I need. It. If it has to be carried in, then you know that's what we do. Uh, I know that the floor has been, if it's not flat, it, the, the grind has been on it the day before and then it's been sealed, that the glue's there, the expansion cork's there, the staples are yeah. there. Everyone knows which way the direction it's going. I've, I've got a, a plan in my hand. Uh, I've met you know somebody or I've got a contact number and so forth. And if there are any questions, I make a phone call and they're solved instantly. And, and away we go. And it's just, it's like, this is what I've been looking for. And they're just a joy to work for. And you just walk in. But, and they pay well. And it's like, oh, this yeah, is gold, dude. Like, mate, it, it, well, it is. And I, like, you know, they say, oh, look, could you, would you mind just doing this? It's like, absolutely not. I'm happy to do that for you because, my God, the benefit for the, everything else is so much in my favour. When yeah. you say to me, could you just pop that in? Oh, I'm not going to get out there to pick that up today. Could you just pop that in the van for me and I'll get it off you next time I see you? Yeah. Sure. 
That's great. That's for sure. It's like there's a lot of adventures about. Hey, I wanted to ask you. You said before photography. Hmm. um, When you were taking photos, what sort of photography were you into? Um, Well, I I, I mean, I, I grew up standing between my father's legs at motor racing circuits apparently at okay. lowwood when lowwood was still a, a circuit oh, i was yeah. there as a baby yeah. as a kid my dad raced his little mini cooper out there yeah right but he had to do it under someone else's name because he didn't have a racing license so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but anyway um and, and then at places like lakeside um, yeah. And it's surface paradise where I would, even at that age, I was still tall enough to see over the single strand of guardrail that protected you from cars flying past. Yeah. Um, and so motorsport was, was my absolute love and passion with, because my dad loved it. And, and I went to every race with him. And so naturally photography was something that I just wanted to take pictures of cars. And at school, I got hold of the school camera and a lens and was able to take it to, I have it on the weekends to go take photographs. So Mad keen motorsport nut. And I, I got a job in Ipswich with a, uh, a young bloke. A mate of mine was working there and he got the sack for this other young bloke and I wanted to see who he was, who this mongrel was that took my mate's job. And I eventually ended up working with him. <laughs> and I took him off to his first motor and we became really good friends and we're still good friends to this day. And uh, I said to him, you know, with a few other friends, hey, look, they're go-karting. I've been out, I've taken photos out of the go-karts. You ought to come out, mate. You'd love this. And he goes, yeah, cool. That's really cool. Yeah, come out and take some photos with you. Here's a... So I took him off to his first motorsport event that he'd ever been to in his life. Wow. And we took photos of go-karts and we all would take photos at different race circuits and doing all that stuff. And um, to this day, the, 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 the only photos that ever have been taken of Dick Johnson's True Blue Falcon upside down in a ditch at the top of Surface Paradise <laughs> are the two pictures that he and I took. Um, yeah, right. As, as we we jumped fences, were running up the up the the old airstrip to take them. A picture of Dick Johnson crawling out from underneath the car and standing next to it upside down. Yeah, um, right. Nobody I else got them. Vaguely remember that, yeah. mate. They were our photos. Yeah, right. um, he got his published in one magazine, and I got mine published in another. And the other magazine said to him, "Hey, could you do a few more of these?" And away he went. So he kept taking photos. And uh, he is now, you, you, when you watch Bathurst and, and they got the winners out there on the rostrum, there's one photographer allowed on the rostrum with them. Right, that's him. That's him. Wow. <laughs> He's Supercar's number one V8 Supercar photographer. Yeah, Mark Orsborough. Yeah. Oh, Top okay. bike. You, yeah, you yeah see I him, know the name. You, you see him all the time. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so we're... we're yeah, we're his work's mates. amazing. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, yeah, uh, he's a very good photographer. Yeah, he's very good. Yep, he's got a good eye, and I like the yeah. fact that he. Well, yeah, you, you just see in his work, he just gets angles and shots out of the He gets the shots, get. doesn't he? Yep. Yeah, and, and like a heck of a nice guy, just the nicest guy you'd ever meet. And, and like I said, we've been mates for years. Wow, um, and you took him to his first race. I took him to his first, yeah, back in nineteen eighty-one. Wow, eighty-one we cool. went. That's how long ago, and so we we're doing all that. So motorsport was always my my keen thing for photography. We did weddings yeah, okay. and other stuff, but. Motorsport was really it. So, yeah, right. and so you so, grew up around in Brisbane then? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. And what yeah. was that like growing up? But well, that would have been seventies, eh? seventies uh, and eighties. Yeah, yeah. Eighties was well, seventies. We were at school doing all that sort of stuff, and I, I, I finished senior in nineteen eighty in Ipswich. I was west of Brisbane, so oh, think, Brisbane yeah. was really the big smoke. We were in a little country town, but we thought it was pretty cool. And look, it was a good place to grow up. You know. Yeah. What was that like growing up out there? Uh, oh, look. Um, it was 
Yeah, look, it, it was good. You know, we weren't we weren't the coolest kids on the block. We weren't surf kids. We were Westies, and you yeah. know, so we were bogans, and you wore flannels, and you had <laughs> you had Ugg boots, and we all had a mullet, and yeah. we all had um, hyper color shirts or denim or stonewashing jeans. Yeah, didn't we all? Yeah, we all know, right? <laughs> so so we, we were just normal kids, but but in the social group that I was in, we weren't. We didn't go around destroying things. We didn't get into punch-ups. We um, chased girls. We rode motorbikes. You know, took photos, um, and generally had a lot of fun. Just just being normal people without being idiots. Yeah. You know, so that was good. I, good I, I way to good, grow up. Good. It was. It really was. And and I I would lived further out in a little country town called Rosewood, which is about as, as the crow flies. It's about six k's from where um, Queensland Raceway is. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so. Yeah, and um, so then you moved to Brizzy. Yeah, right? I moved to Brisbane. I've, I've lived down the Gold Coast. I've lived in a couple of different spots on the south side of Brisbane. I've been, I was in Sydney for eight years um, and then come back to Brisbane and I live in Bayside now. That side of Brizzy, so, yeah, okay. been around a bit. <laughs> yeah, nice area. It kind of yeah. gets in your blood, that area too, I think, if you're born uh, yeah. there. Yeah, it does. It, 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 you know, there's good and bad. Everywhere you go, there's good and bad. And unless you're living in a gated estate, I mean, even in, in Hendra or New Farm, you see some of the things that happen over there and the people that are over there and you just think, you know, I don't I don't think I'd like to be amongst those people because, yeah. um, you know, there are shitheads everywhere you go. Just some of them have got more money than others. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? interesting. Yeah, because I've fished <laughs> like really around are. Sanctuary Cove. I've oh, yeah. Tournaments over there and stuff. And that was the first time I'd seen gated communities really i think in yep. australia to be honest yeah and it was quite interesting <laughs> yep yeah. i i lived down that way just behind hope island in a little place oh, called yeah. monterey key so i had a beautiful house there for a while yeah, and it was right. a gated community and there were some nice people in it but then there were some really horrible people and then you just you thought well i, I don't mm. understand why you need to be that way but you are so so yeah, yeah sort of, i've done that but yeah and then when you went down you said before so about the driving job is that when you went down to sydney no, no, no. I um, the the mate of mine that I'd said that I, I went floor. He was a floor center, and I I um, I built floors with. He bought a BMW, so he got a two day driving course at the Performance Drive Center on the Gold Coast, oh, and it was at Yatla. So that's it's Frank Gardner's. Yeah. Frank Gardner put it together with money from Tony Longhurst and uh, Terry Morris. Yeah. Um. And, and the original company was called Logamo for the Longhurst, Morris and Gardner um, Association. But anyway, Tony Longhurst stepped out of it and, and Terry Morris got more involved in it. And then eventually that's when Frank crazy. decided to retire, um, Morris is, took it over completely. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that how Norwell got started? That's Norwell. Yeah. That's Norwell. That is, that a, that yeah, is Norwell. Yeah. That is Norwell. Yeah. 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 So I, I worked there for 10 years. Yeah, okay. um, did it in the days when the the they were still running the two-litre Diet Coke BMWs. So just yeah, after yeah, yeah. Tony Longhurst had finished racing, yeah, and and you know the the Group A cars were done, and um, you know the Longhurst Sierra, the Benson Hedges Sierra, and so forth were all done. And Jeff Brabham came along, and basically there were the two liter Diet Coke BMWs is what they were running. Yeah. Um, Paolo Bagazzi had come out from the CBI or CBM Italian concern, um, and was out here um, engineering the car for for Frank and for BMW. And um, basically, they wanted they wanted a top driver, and to for to to teach, but also to provide 
a playing field, as it were, for comparison for Paul Morris. Yeah. So Jeff Brabham got the nod. He had just retired and come home from the States. And, and if you go back in the history books, Frank Gardner spent a lot of time in the late 50s and all through the 60s in Europe with guys like Denny Holm yeah, and right. Jack Brabham. Um, and they were they were best of mates in the UK, and Frank drove yeah. touring. We drove everything, but a lot of sports cars because that's where the money was. There was nothing in Formula One. There was no money in Formula One then, yeah. so he often drove saloon cars and sports cars because that's where the money actually was. But we still good very friend, very good friends with with Jack Brabham, and um, one of the guys that actually worked at the drive centre. His he was the oh, nephew, I think, of Frank Gardner. And, and he, he always told the story that, that Jack actually asked Frank, because he was quite an accomplished driver. Frank yeah. Gardner is, to, to this day, I believe People Frank forget. Gardner is the best racing driver Australia has ever actually produced. He's wow. not the most famous, but for skill and talent, Excuse I think he was every bit as good as Jack yeah. Rabbin. If Better than better. Shane? <laughs> well, Shane's a Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about that too. Oh. Keep going. We'll come back to that. Um, and and, and, and the, the, as the story goes, Jack said to Frank, I'm going to go to a two-car team next year okay. uh, in yeah. Formula One. I want you to drive one of the cars. I need you to come down and sort the car out. So Frank hopped in the car and drove down to, to Jack's little garage. And there was a car sitting there. He said, is this my car? And Jack said, no, that's my car. And he said, where's your car? And he said, where's my car? And he says, over there and pointed to the wall and all the tubes hanging up on the wall. <laughs> so Frank had to build it himself. Yeah. And he did. And Frank was a very accomplished engineer. Yes. Um, and, 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 you know, when you think back to the, remember the, the, the JPS BMWs and, and... I was just going to say, especially yeah. later in his career. Yeah, absolutely. That really he, became evident. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he, he swung, you know, engineered the Alan Grice um, turbo. Yeah. It was a 320i BMW. That thing was an absolute wreck and he had to build it back from nothing and turn it into a race winning car. But so Frank put this car together and it was basically built and ready to go. And at the, that same stage, Jack changed, uh, Jack had the, the, the Repco V8 deal going well, was ready to go for another, a second car. It was all set up and so forth. And Repco were going to step into New Zealand. And so they wanted some product identification with New Zealand. They said, we'd yeah, like yeah. to have a New Zealand driver. And so Frank was unfortunately told, I'm really sorry, mate, but we've got to give the drive to Denny. Um, and Denny Holm got it. And, and Denny drove with Jack. And Frank didn't. That's yeah. how close it was for Frank Gardner wow. to be in Formula One. Wow. Um, and he would have been something too, just quietly, because he, even the Tasman series, he would come out here and race cars that were slightly inferior and, and still finish in the top five yeah. against the likes of Frank Maddich and Leo Gahagan. And in the Tasman series, of course, you've got whole people coming out with Jim Clark, Chris Emlon, uh, Graham Hill, um, Teddy Mayer's brother. I can't remember his name. Um, he, he would come out here. Um, yeah, you know, all those sort of guys. Lorenzo yeah. Bandini coming out. You know, all, all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, Frank was... Frank was bloody good. Yeah. He yeah, was... it would have been interesting to see him in F1. I think he would have gone all right. Oh, look, to watch him drive, and he would sit, and you'd you you you'd get trained down there. And when you were trained to do the, the program as, as he taught it, you then got to get in the car with Frank. And, I, I mean, the most intimidating thing you've ever seen is Frank Gardner <laughs> with one eye up and one half down going, now, son, just show me what you can do. 
yeah. and you go out and you do it. And he says, right, now, my turn. Hop in. And he goes, you know, I need you to watch me. And you don't look. He said, don't look at the road. That's not what's happening. Watch here. This is how we do it. This is what we do. This is what we do. And you then realise, and you glance at the speedo and you realise you're doing 50 kilometres an hour faster than I was doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And it felt like you were on a Sunday drive. He was just that good. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he was wonderful. Good drivers make it look easy like that. Oh, unbelievably! He was, and he was just—he had the most unbelievable repertoire of stories to sit, just to, to sit with him at lunchtime and listen yeah, to him. Yeah. You just shut up and listen, and it was brilliant the stuff that you could do. And and I've like just for enjoying motorsport um, heroes. I, I, you know, at the time, I, I remember sitting down at lunch one day, and they and they. The, the, the head instructor there said, Mike, come and here, there's a seat here, come and have a sit down. I said, oh, is it okay? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sat down to lunch and I was sitting down with Frank Gardner, Jack Brabham, Peter Brock, Neil Crompton, Larry Perkins. Um, that was, it was a different day to Scafe and Ingle and, and my, my head instructor, Russell White, who's still involved and stuff. And I sat down and he's sitting there thinking, Did you I, pinch I, yourself? I, I need to pinch myself here. I don't believe I actually said anything more than could you please pass the salt? Um, <laughs> and you just, just listening. It was. You sat there for an hour enthralled and listening to them just talk and laugh backwards and forwards. And, and Try yeah. to soak it up. Oh, it was, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I have, have very fond memories of that place. Yeah, that's and then, awesome. Yeah. Uh, there were others that you met. Jeff Brabham was a wonderful man. Jim Richards was great to work with there. Russell Ingle was an absolute laugh. Thomas Mazera, such a lovely man. Just yeah, such a beautiful yeah. person, you know, and 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 you know, you got to meet Terry Morris, and you know, I met Scaife and the Kelly brothers and Murphy and all those sort of guys when it became involved with Holden and all those sort of things. So you got to meet a lot of the people. You sat there and you watched on TV and thought, wow, you know, and, and just have a just a quiet word with them. Con McCanville was another one. A Con, Cameron McConville, sorry, um, oh, yeah. you know those sort of guys. So yeah, it was it, pretty yeah, much it was any, everyone just about's coming through that place nowadays. Oh yes, yes Paul's they are. Paul's got it sorted, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's it's an interesting it. place. He's a smart uh, guy. I think. You know what? I, I, through experience, I think Paul's become a very, very, very good operator. Yeah. He might have been not so good when he was here. Yeah, I agree, like. definitely. And still probably, like, he, by his own admission, he'll probably say rough around the edges. But I think he's, yeah, he's actually a lot smarter businessman than what people realise. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and... He, He's just got that. Some, I mean, I know some people are very critical of him, and I've not been the biggest fan at times. And sometimes he's been involved with people that you just think, ah, uh, yeah, this is not good. <laughs> this is really mm. not good. And I've seen some things happen there that you look at, and some yeah. identities have gone off the rails and had a little bit too much fun there. Yeah, um, in an enclosed environment, and it's just like, yeah, and that's it, not the image that you need you to know, be showing. But I, he, I, he I a, believe Paul's he, distanced himself from those people now. So yeah, and I think at the start he was more around those sort of people. And look, he did get a bit of a start help with money too. But it's what you do oh. with it, you know. And what and he's he, you know, he's probably earned ten times that since kind of thing. So well, I mean, he, he, as Australians, we knock the tall poppies down, don't we? And 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 like. Yeah. You know, Siramay Wineries is T E Morris spelt backwards. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what Siramay is. Okay. That's and right. Siramay's yeah. no, So, yes, absolutely. Terry's put a lot of money into Paul going racing. But 
I think he's and we all, something. We all look at it and go, oh, really? You know, spoiled brat. But really, if you think about it, if you had the money yeah. and your kid wanted to go racing, would you spend it on him and, and help him go racing? Yeah, for the sure. The answer is yes. We would all do it. So, And look, you, the you money thing, like, here's what I say about that, right? Because, you know, even like I know Kostecki's get it a bit right. They come from rich, you know, yeah. or well-to-do people. But here's what I say about that, right? Money doesn't press the pedals or That's turn right. the wheel. That's right. exactly right. And money, you know, look, and there's plenty of kids that have come up, that, you know, without the money. And, you know, Brock's a good example of that. He worked yeah, worked fast, yep. you know, but he did all the right things. He followed all the right pathways. And it just goes to show, look, money is a part of it. But if yep. you're quick enough and you're determined enough, you, you can make it happen. Look, ab- absolutely right. And, and I've got no doubt. And, and uh, um, I mean, I don't know uh, a whole lot of Brody's background, so I would never really make any comment on that. But it, it, it's it, it's a case of, you know, Terry's taught Paul how to make money, and yeah. and that's what he sets about doing. And then he combines that with what he loves doing, which is training and taking young talent and and helping them along the way to become good racing car drivers. And look look at like. Brody's worked there, Feeney's worked there. It's gone back like yeah. Luke Yulden back was back in those days. Young, um, oh, I can't think of his name now, but he's a great little driver. He just never really got the backing behind him to keep going with it. But he had um, uh, gone off. I'll think of his name, but he's a great bloke um, that, and and showed a lot of talent, but just didn't yeah. have the money to keep going with it. When a lot of drivers come through there. Oh, look, there's, there's a heap of anyone them. who's someone is the least. Yeah, absolutely. So. So, and that's what Paul's looking to establish, and he's doing a good job of it. So, good on him. And obviously, um, I'm pretty sure Shane has come through there as well. So, we. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you he's, watch he's that yesterday? Yes. Oh. What would you think? Mate, I, <laughs> I had yesterday off, right? It's... And I thought to myself, when I looked, when I saw it, it was scheduled to start at 7 o'clock. It was like I was watching the clock, and the missus was, you know, she's getting ready to go for it. And I think, come on, come on, hurry up, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on, hurry up. She was out the door about half past seven, so I was bang, straight on the lounge, on with it. I, I recorded it and then realised it was raining, so I fast-forwarded it through. Yeah. And then I just I got to the point where I sort of caught up and I was just watching. I thought, this is going to go over, so I switched over to watch it live. Yeah. And you, you're watching it going, yes, yes, come on, come on. And then, oh, no, they've shortened the race. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, bugger, bugger, bugger. And, and like, you could see he was holding his own and not pushing the car while others was trying to build the lead. You thought, there's, kind of, there's a couple of numpties that went in the same corner about three times. Yeah. Uh, and you just thought, yep, you know, yellow yellow keeps compressing the field, keeps compressing the field. He's biding his time, and he's doing what Shane does, which is conserve tyres. Yeah, I was going to say it was obvious. And, and not spend the car, yeah. Not spend the brakes and, and, and not... Because you saw at the end there, some of the some of those guys um, had very very hot brakes. They were oh, really yeah. that they yeah. were they were all done. And they were saying, oh, you know, we Shane seemed to be able to brake better than us. And I was thinking that I was like, no, you just used them up, fellas. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's still got what he's still got is he's got tyres under the car, and he's got an innate innate ability to yeah. feel the edge. Oh, when I seen the water, like, I was like, that's it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who's going to win? Oh, like, I fucking you. knew. And like after qualifying P3, I said to my missus, I said, you know what? He's going to win this. <laughs> I said, he's going to win it. Yeah, I, I, I thought I so just too. Had, but... I just had a feeling. And then halfway through the race, I thought, oh, maybe not. But yeah. the way he was saving it, you could just see it all coming together. And then on the restart, when he passed, uh, what's his name, Justin, twice, I yeah. was, I was yeah. like, I don't, you know, 
kind of go too crazy right <laughs> very often but it was like it's hard to put it in words like what he did going over there in a car that he's never driven before yep. against like and you're not talking about chumps man you're talking about kyle larson he's fucking one chili bowl usac oh. like these dudes Hounds are fucking legit and those guys are good just spanked them <laughs> well, well he, he his driving skill i believe is comparable if not better but his brain to know that this car is a big heavy car and we've got to make it go so yeah. far and he was thinking from the back of the race from the end of the race backwards and then to find out the race had been shortened and he had to take that stop because he obviously was going to make it but nobody else had to take a stop and he thought oh no here he is he's buried 18th yeah. he's never going to get out of that and then you think oh what a blow you know damn it's you know what could have been and then you realize hang on his his tires are 16 17 Six, laps better yeah. than theirs and all of a sudden he's 14th He's twelfth. Yeah, picking he's them in up. The, he's ninth. He's in the top. Yeah. He's fifth, and then and somebody that, crashed out. And he was fourth, yeah. and then he started that run his, oh. just before the last yellow. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was and he, he was. It, it just you're sitting there going, "Oh it my god, a... he's going to do it." And, and like from about fifth on, you realised his tyres are so much better than theirs. And then, it, it, like he made that pass. And it was obviously it had gone yellow as he was making the pass, so yeah. he just handed it back even before the TV yeah, got to do it. He he anyway. So it was yeah. done, and yeah, he, he was like, "Yeah, we're we're good." And I then just, to make like, the pass that he did, and when he did, it was brilliant. It was just. When brilliant. was the last time someone did anything like that? Uh, I believe 1973. Johnny <laughs> Rutherford was the man. It's that's literally honestly that is years. that is literally what you're talking about. Like you just sixty years. You just do not do what he did. I think it's gonna be a day that people will talk about, you know, forever in Australian motorsport. It's that big. I, I you know what I I, I I sorta is impressed upon me is I don't know about the rest, everyone else, but for me, I always looked at Ayrton Senna and thought, you know, Senna's good. I hate that he's so good. He just seems so arrogant. And I was probably a bit immature to know how mature he actually was mm. and watched him. And then he died, right? And I, I remember watching the broadcast the night he died. I was watching it live. Yeah, I still have true. it on a videotape. Um, I was recording it, right? And then you, you delved further into his life and you everything, the things that came out and the more you could read about it and so forth, and you realised that he truly was a, 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 one of these rare talents that come along. Um, yes. and, and you look and you think, you know what, and, and you can look at somebody like Sebastian Vettel and go, oh, my God, you know, he wins with the Red Bull at Monza, uh, with the, the well, what were, were they, they were Red, no, they weren't Red Bulls, whatever they, they were, the, um, the second tier. Uh, Toro Rosso, Rosso, sorry, Toro Rosso. Yeah, he wins with that at, at Monza in the wet. Yeah, but he had the right car at the right time with the right tyres, and the power deficit didn't matter because of the rain, and he wins. Yeah. Brilliant. Not kids 19 or something. Yeah, you, know, you think, wow, what a prodigy. He goes on to win four world championships, but he does it like Lewis Hamilton. The majority of his world championships are won with the only car to have to win. Yeah, and yes, Senna did do that, but he often won with cars that weren't the best car out there or were yeah. far, far more or closer to the field. Right. So Vettel, for me, won four championships. He's probably good enough to be world champion, but four, he did it with the best car. Hamilton's done the same thing. And it's not to say that they aren't 
very good drivers, really good drivers. And, and Max Verstappen is doing it, five on, the, five on the trot. But it's obvious the Red Bull is just a better car. Mm. There's no denying that. You, know, yeah. put him, you make the cars all equal and see how you go. Shane's out there. Shane. <laughs> right. He's out there doing this. Yeah. But he's doing it not across one discipline. He's yeah. going and hopping into all these different cars and all these different disciplines and doing it. And, and he's, he's, he's winning or proving that he is, if, if nothing else, highly competitive. Yeah. And you think to yourself, like, where does that, you, you, you have to realise what you're actually watching and you, you, you're in an era um, that when he retires or at the end of his career, people are going to look back and say, this guy is one of the true greats yeah, of motorsport and we get to watch him right now mm. doing what he does and that shouldn't be lost on anybody because he no, is he's that good. He literally is a freak. Like absolutely, you think he probably had a pretty good car on the weekend, but he, I don't think he had the best car. You know what Possibly I mean? Like not. Project Ninety One, they got a good team, and look, NASCAR is pretty even. But you and I know money talks, and that's it. Um, and yeah, it's I was totally impressed. Like it was just, it was something incredible to watch. I'll never forget. Oh. It. <laughs> I, look, I, I read on the on the internet here um, yesterday a couple of people saying I can't believe it. Like two laps from the end, I had a massive attack of hay fever. My eyes went all watery, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't oh. breathe my nose. But another guy saying, Yeah, yeah, I, I had allergies pop up just on the last lap too. <laughs> my eyes got all teary. Salty, what is this salty discharge in my eyes? <laughs> That's it. How does this happen? You know, but it, it really was like that. I was cheering and clapping oh, when mate. he made. I'm sitting there, go we go i'm sitting, I'm sitting like, here by myself and i am absolutely enthralled it was great to watch what do you what do you think the other now I've, I've watched most of the press conferences like it's a bit of a what do you reckon it's like a it's a bit of a look you know you can't deny it he went over there he spanked him well here's the thing right here's the thing so, as I understand it, and I haven't watched NASCAR for a fair few years now. When they've got, I watched the first year they got into this chase rubbish and all this sort of thing. Right, you have to win or have a win to get automatically put into the chase. Yeah, he's so. had a win. Yeah. He could go to the last yeah. round, he and if he, won, if he won the race, oh, he could well, win the championship. Well, he's saying at the moment, right? Obviously, as well, I'm going to stay like another year. He's got a contract yeah. with Triple Eight, yeah. right? But here's yeah. what I'm thinking about that. Mate, the end of the year is six months away, right? The other thing is the money in America. Like, surely someone could just say, whatever that triple eight contract's worth, right, we'll just pay double. Yep. We'll pay it out. We'll pay it out. We'll come to, come to America. Look, it, look, it could happen. What do you reckon? Um, uh, I, I actually don't think so. I, I don't think he would do it. It was uh, my understanding, and I, I only get this second or third hand, was that, that it was something that was sort of originally talked about through and Paul Morris helped make it happen through Boris said yeah um, right. and helped it helped it you know however they did that that's that's the minimum that I know and it, I, I'm presuming that's correct All right so it got in there and it got him a drive he certainly made ripples and everyone's opened their eyes the question will be yeah that's great you know Marcus Ambrose won oh, yeah. on a uh, a road course at Watkins Glen as well I but know what you're um, but you know, is he any good at racing ovals? Well, yeah. I honestly think, I think Shane would be. I, I think he, he's just he's got a meticulous brain for data and analysis, and yeah. he would figure out how to do it. Look, even when we're in sim racing, mucking around, he is he does that. He's just he ha, he is driven to win all the time. 
and he wants to race against guys and have a good race. And he has a lot of fun and he mucks around. And I know there are lots of people that don't particularly like him on sim racing or, you know, some do, some don't, what have you. And there's the, there's the haters and everywhere. But he's really, he loves having fun with it, but he is a racer at heart and he wants to race all the time. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think the ovals could maybe be his weakness. Like, it'll probably be the bit that he won't be as good at. But, you know, like you said, it's, you know, he's applied everything else, all the other evidence suggests that, you know, he'll pick it up as good as anything else. And the other thing is you don't have to win on the ovals all the time, right? If you follow the points and stuff, you just really got to kind of be thereabouts and not, you know, like avoiding the wrecks and, You'll yep. do very well. And then, you know, they've got to remember too, like with Ambrose, right, they basically were throwing a whole team at fucking Watkins Glen every year. Yep. Their whole year was just built around knowing the fact that he's probably going to win that race. And the other thing with Ambrose too was I don't think he – he had to be in a Ford team because that's where the money was behind him. And I don't think he was in the best team he could have been in at the time. Yeah, and probably. the way the other mega teams were around that had the drivers that they did, they had better resources than what was available to Marcus. And I think he did a great job. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I got a TV when I was living in Sydney that could pick up 10, whatever it was, in one of their digital channels. And I got to watch Marcus when he was in the trucks and then he went to Xfinity or the you know, second tier and then he, straight up into NASCAR. So, And I watched it religiously. It was fantastic. It was great to watch. And he was really good. But... He, he just didn't have the equipment underneath him, but he still yeah, made right. an impact. Yeah. Uh, and on the road courses, Shane, he was just a better driver. Yeah, the other thing is they do more road courses now. They do they about do. six or seven. They do. I think including Chicago this year, I think it was seven. I could well, be wrong. But it's, yep. lo- it's more. It was, I think it was three, maybe, yep. when Ambrose was driving. So, yeah. yeah, actually, I think it was only one when Ambrose was. It was what could have been, been right. Was actually, the only or race. Sonoma? No, they... Maybe? Uh, yeah, no, you're right. No, no, they did do. I think Sonoma was introduced, and I then they went to, to Canada for the first time. Oh yeah, up there. I think Canada was one of the first one at, at Chilvelu Circuit, and because oh, it rained, that's right. It poured with rain, and they actually had to use windscreen wipers. The first time they'd ever raced in the wet. <laughs> that's right. That was, yeah, I watched the truck race there. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah interesting. Actually, you mentioned there. Um, sim racing so i wanted to obviously uh <laughs> ask you about that because a lot of people wouldn't realize that uh basically you run the most popular number one <laughs> most followed uh league in a oh, sim racing league in australia and that's uh v8 scops so how tell us a bit about how, how you got into that well well first i've got to say is it's very kind of you to say you run um, well, yeah, I, I know. I, it's a team I, thing. But, yeah. It's very much a team effort. Yeah, I'm probably the person that. that is the most visual yeah. um, out of it because I, I do the stuff on the forums and those sort of things and take on, yeah. take a, take the odd person on with a bit of a street brawl every now and again <laughs> as best I can. But there's a great team of guys behind it and it originally came out of the fact that V8 supercar racing was Monday nights in Australia. We made the strength of field um, public servers. and so that's the official be, server, yeah. The official yeah. server, right. Yeah. And it was started getting broadcast by what is now SimSpeed. It was V8s online back then by Jay Kennedy yeah. and, and um, Seb uh, Murray-Westberg. And because um, he had NBN, he eventually got NBN. So oh, it was man. broadcast through him out of Tam, Tamworth. 
Armadale, sorry, Armadale, Armadale. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, what happened was they increased the field size to 25 cars, and originally it was strength of field, so highest I rating got in. And that was good because, you know, the, the best guys had the highest I ratings, the Madison Downs, the Richard Hampsteads, um, you know, those guys were all up there, right? And they, they did all that. So that was great, great racing, all that sort of stuff. But when it became obvious that I-rating meant that's how you get into split one, people started going and farming I-rating. And then what happened was guys were getting into split one with the highest I-rating, but they were bumping other people out that were faster. And so you didn't have the fastest guys in top split. So, and, and then more and more guys started farming and a couple of guys got bumped out and there was a bit of backwards and forwards and like, yeah, this isn't any good. So the idea and concept came about that, what if we had a, um, a private league that was, you know, had the fastest guys out there? You'd have to qualify, you have to race and qualify for it. And we take the top and we, we were sick of 25 fields. So we sort of figured out, well, 40 is probably the most you can have without it being chaotic. And yeah. some will argue that it still is a tad chaotic with 40, but yeah. 40 is the number. And we take the best for the fastest 40 drivers. So you get in on a qualifying time and yeah. we went, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? And so, okay, let's do live race control because live race control was only just starting to be done then. And it originally kicked off with a guy uh, called Chris Tarrant, who did a, uh, a race of champions race that he uh, decided was a good idea. And he got us to give, um, he got Simon in particular to give him a hand with the servers. So we were sort of helped with the admin of it. And we don't leagues and all that sort of stuff. And, and um, um, uh, hosted sessions were only new to iRacing. And so we did that. And then he said, this is miles too much work. Do you want to run Race of Champions? And we said, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And we were doing dev series and we just kicked off in dev series. So, and, and we said we would do live race control. And that was like, we were doing two and three splits of their series back then. Because so many people we had. So they asked us to be involved in it. And we'd done this live race control thing for Race of Champions. And it was like, wow, this is awesome. It's, you know, huge. The way we go and, and we put all the effort in there. And so the idea was put forward that we get SimSpeed to, um, to broadcast it. OSR to administer it and away we go and then it was like but well who, how are you going to tell you know like what what happens if you're if you're 41st and you're a really good guy so well mm-hmm. okay how many people will be Three interested splits. and and they the people that tried to qualify it it's just like we got to run a second split there's just too many people here. Yeah. and and away we went so that's how it, it it sort of that's the the concept of it but the 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 pretext was that it has to be available to everybody so yes we've got to do prequel now that took on its own life but the idea was that anybody can come and race scops yeah. all right because it's got to be the fastest guys out there so the best guys get to do it and that in itself created dramas with people and the amount of time that they had so we sort of thought well oh, what do we do well well what if somebody can't qualify this night, but they can qualify that night? So we gave them multiple nights. And then what if we had, because Renz Brokeman often raced with us from then from Europe. Renz is a, was a, a great competitor in split one in, V8, in the V8 cars. 
was often in there and, and well liked. Renz was a, a top like top racer and he would race whatever time it was, whatever stupid o'clock in his country in Europe. Um, so guys like Renz had to be available. So we had to put in a big, a big uh, time deficit to qualify. So, you know, like, and, and eventually it went out to it was six hours. So we had these three nights a week and six hours a night and you could go and you just, file your best lap and away you go we didn't yeah. want people jumping from from track to track to track so we sort of put some limitations and you know did all that sort of stuff and we came up with a seven race series at the end of 2014 um to to see how it goes um and away what do we need to figure out what are we got to nut out to it what sort of rules do we want to use what's the rule book how does it work all that sort of stuff so we didn't have a rule back at book back at that stage so um yeah, with seven race series and so away. That was the first season. That was the first season. Yeah, Richard Hampson won it, and yeah. it was um, it was some minor teething issues, but everyone was just on board, and it was yeah, it was the thing to do, and away you went. It and, kind of and, still is. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's the number one thing everyone takes uh, notice of. Twenty twenty three. That's ten years. That's ten seasons yeah. we've been doing it now. Yeah. Um, and how do you reckon? Well, I've got two questions I want to ask you that. But how do you reckon you've you've been able to maintain that um this is an answer that probably a lot of people aren't going to like and maybe it i i don't want to blow my own trumpet but i've always said this and i've always made sure that everyone else understood this and goes along this guideline is to maintain integrity you must remain impartial an incident is car a and car b and you have to be fair. It doesn't matter if it's Madison down and he's my mate. If he's made a mistake, then the penalty goes his way. Or if it's Richard Hampstead, or if it's Jared Philsell, or if it's Jake Burton, or if it's whoever. Mm. It doesn't matter. Okay? The personality doesn't matter. Is this a fair pass? Is it not a fair pass? You maintain integrity in that respect, and you try and be consistent with everything you do. The, then the next thing is, is that whilst sometimes it's, again, been... A, the allegations have been out there, I'm not the only person that makes a decision. Those decisions have to be ratified with everyone agreeing, yes, that person is at fault. So we have to be fair all the time and we have to be as consistent as we possibly can. And that's what we've tried to do all the time. Then we've tried to make it so that it's fair for everybody. You all get treated the same. You don't... There's no, there's no favoritism. There's no, oh, he's my mate, so no, I'm not going to do this. Or, or he's my mate, so he gets that and the others don't. Rules are the rules as we work them out. And that's rubbed some people the wrong way over the years. But overall, we've always fought to maintain that. And Simon Black is the same. Henry King is the same. Jay Kennedy is the same. Yeah. Um, and we've had different guys come in and help us. And that's what we've impressed upon. And that's why we've often shunned a lot of people and some people have got very butthurt over it is because you have an affiliation in one place um, that will naturally make you biased uh, or may make you sway a little bit. So you're very good at what you do, but you're not suitable, sorry. And, and it's not being elitist. It's just that that is, you must maintain that integrity across the board and that's what keeps it popular. Yeah. And then, then they get to race against the best guys out there. Yeah. Um, and that's, the, that's what everyone wants to do. To me, it seems like such an obvious concept, but it's amazing how many people just don't seem to be able to do that. Yeah, look, I, I, um, 
<laughs> Brenton will probably kill this for, kill me. The ability for to be objective. Uh, look, it's 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 not an easy thing to do, and, and maybe you know, I mean, maybe I'm on the spectrum or something like that. But it, it, it's how you interpret things. And I, I know from my police service days, I spent three years in prosecutions in the court prosecuting people to the letter of the law. You, yeah. you, there's no, it's black and white. It's this or it's this. It's not. Mm-hmm. The areas of grey are only ever created by the other side of the legal table trying to get somebody off um, a charge. They yeah. try and create the grey to create the shadow of the doubt. But you, this is how it goes. It's either this side of the fence or it's that. That's what it is. He's either guilty or he's not. So that that's how it works. And then you work. Then mitigation always comes in penalty, not in 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 the actual offence itself. Yeah. And so Simon Black has been very good and you don't hear a lot of Simon but he's he's unbelievably good at looking at this stuff objectively Henry King came along he was with us and guys like Clayton Brooks was in there for a while Matty Nethercoat helped us there's a whole pile there's a whole raft of guys that have been in and out at various times that all were able to do this and maintain this Marty Atkins Michael Yeo um, those sort of great guys all great guys to work with but just have had different constraints at different times not to sort of stay with it so simon and henry and i have been there probably the most from our side of it and obviously jay on the opposite side from the rural car side so but to do that it's the key thing and you you have to maintain that integrity and to be objective all the time about what you do and to that it helps you then actually writing the rule book for example um a, a good example of that is your um random safety cars in the endurance events right it's very easy to say oh we'll have we'll throw them out there and we'll we'll use a random generator and say it's going to happen on lap 10 or lap 15 and you think well well who's lap 15 oh well the leaders well hang on a second that disadvantages the leader because somebody that's 15 seconds behind him can duck into the pits and so you think well how do you not disadvantage anybody okay we use the race timer and we work out and i i literally do this i work out how many seconds are going to be in a race let's say bathurst is a two minute and five lap as average so yeah. we work out 161 laps at uh, two minutes and five in seconds and we, we we then take off the first five laps and the last five laps we're not going to do anything stupid with random safety cars in there that can mm. still happen but yeah not random, right? It's because someone's crashed, right? And then you hit the random generator and it gives you a random number in seconds between those two parameters. That is, and you convert that back to hours and minutes and seconds, and that's when the random safety car is going to be called. So I can't tell you who's leading at that point. I can't tell you what lap it's going to be. It's that it's just a time thing. So that that's the moment and where it is on track compared to what anything else has happened. Nobody knows. Yeah. And you share that with one other person, person so that, that there are two people who okay. know that this is when it's going to happen, right? And that's it. That's we're the only two people that know. Uh, anybody that's linked, like for example, sometimes Henry Henry might have some of his drivers in the actual race. Henry doesn't get told, right? So it'd be me and Jay Kennedy, yeah. and that's it. We're the only two that know, so that the, we know that there's no leak, there's no anything else that happens, and so that he can make sure that I haven't forgotten, and vice versa. And we're aware and when and you're literally i'm watching the clock count down to that second and when that second is you know three hours 52 minutes and 12 seconds that's when i hit the button and say safety car yeah. and so who where you are on track who's leading or whatever you cannot be accused of you know we of any favoritism towards or against anybody or bias because that may have happened once before <laughs> 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there was a Bathurst race where somebody said to me, this is a boring race. We should spice it up a bit oh, with a safety car. One. And I said, well, uh, and, and I honestly, I, I didn't know who was leading or where they were and what they were doing because you don't yeah. get a chance to often do that, you know, from when you're in race control. And, and I just said, well, you can't just throw one. He said, well, what if a kangaroo went across the track? I thought, well, that's a good excuse. Safety car. <laughs> I went. And there were some people that said that was brilliant and others said, you are an absolute idiot. Okay. Yeah, right. I found it interesting uh, what you've summed up there, showing how the, you know, even sorry, through, you know, a, a decision as simple as like a random safety car, Yeah. a lot of leagues would just pull it on a lap and they yes. haven't really gone down the rabbit hole of, yeah. What does that really do? And like, I think that's the reason why you guys have been on top for so long is because the, the devil's in the detail, you know, and that's what you guys are good at, The, you know, all those little things that really do make a big difference. And, and, and what I've got to say too is, now, you've got to be fair, we probably pioneered many things in Australian sim racing to try and bring it as close as we could towards what the real events are. But in saying that, like, for example, safety cars. There's been a call, oh, we have to do safety cars. We have to do safety cars, you know, with the working group. We've got to do it, we've got to do it, we've got to do it. It's like, yeah, okay, but how do we do this and not disadvantage somebody? And my biggest question always to them was, show me a method of doing this where it can't be taken advantage of. Oh, yeah. people wouldn't do that. And the answer is they will. They will do it to... At some stage, somebody will do it to advantage themselves or somebody else. And that's why we held off for so long with doing it. Once we sort of figured it out and went, okay, well, we've got to do certain things and this is how we'll do it, we worked it through. And then when it came to doing that, I did a eight-hour Le Mans race with um, Simon Mazomo and his guys were running it and I was out there running around. And they did. They said, well, we're going to have safety cars. How are we going to do it? Oh, we'll just wing it. But they winged it bloody well, and they did a really, really good job. And I watched how it worked from a competitor's point of view, and I thought, this is really good. This, this work, I, We're doing this next year. And I copied what they did and then took that element of, well, we're not going to wing it. We have to actually write a set of rules yeah. and how we go about it. And I, I, I'll give them full credit because I watched it happen, and then I was convinced that it could happen and it would work and it would be good for the series and we, we could do it without it being a disadvantage or without the perception of disadvantage or favouritism. Yeah. And, and away we went. So that's where we've, you know, there have been times where we didn't pioneer everything. We did a lot, but we've taken little bits from lots of different places and melded Watched it together it. with that whole, that whole underlying thing is it's available to everyone and we must maintain our integrity all the way through as best we can. Yeah. Some people don't like that and they'll accuse you of not actually doing that, but that's always what we've tried to maintain as best as humanly possible. And we've got criticism for it, but there's the result. Yeah. It's so, working. Yeah. What's the, um, what's the one thing, you've learnt about people after running scops for how 10 years is it over 10 yeah, years the one thing i've learned about people is how much i like my dog <laughs> <laughs> no look I, I um i i've made a lot of friends and a few enemies out of it um the one thing i've learned is that the competitive nature of people sometimes 
allows them to do things that is less than sportsmanlike. The red mist. Yes, and that's disappointing. And it's probably one of the things that I've tried to always account for in my own racing online is not to let that overtake you because it makes you make mistakes. And there's a you have to maintain a bit of a humility about it. And so we do this for fun. And, and uh, uh, Clayton Brooks once said to me, he said, mate, seriously, I just watched him write this one. He says, mate, seriously, you're racing pixels on a screen. Calm down. <laughs> and yeah. I thought that was such a good answer because that's the truth of it. But you get so invested. Yeah, Some people of... get so invested that it's mm. just, you think, dude, just, just, just calm down for one second. Be a good human being first. And, and, and do what's right. And if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Don't cheat to win or don't, you know, don't pay back. Just just race. Have fun. Enjoy. Yeah. You know, so, but so that doesn't always happen. There's so many little nuances about it. You know, the fact that it is online and you're yep. not face-to-face. You yep. know, like the guys I race carts these days and the guy, bunch of guys that I race against, like, they would just, no one would ever even punt anybody off you know what i mean it's yep. because we're all there we're all hanging out in the pits so yeah there's so many little nuances about sim racing that make it unique and you know the other thing is it you know it is pixels on screen i i get that but also in the same token like you know especially since iRacing's come along like these things mean something now you know they like do. certain certain things and even like you know what you're running like scops you know like it is the number one it's the one that gets all the best v8 drivers and you know, like history is being made. So it's kind of, and people put a lot of time into it. So it's a large emotional investment. Yep. Probably probably the one thing that I've always, that the other thing that I would suggest, is, and I've always said this right from the beginning, a lot of people sort of didn't take it to heart and then didn't like it further on down the track is this is an amateur sport. And as such, we need to keep it amateur. Oh, you know, I can sponsor. You know, I can. We can. We can do prizes. We can do that. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Money corrupts. And mm-hmm. and the truth of it is, is it does. And if you offer big money, then obviously the bees are all going to go around to the honey pot, aren't they? Yeah. But is that what you really want? But yeah, that's exactly right. Is then you start to see people do things to get the honey. Yeah. That well, is that's what... kind of what's happening now, man. And like. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want to go into the confidentiality of our last conversation, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Um, and that's kind of what's happening now. And look, I, I'm okay with that. I, I think there is a natural evolution that will always go towards that. I, I'm good with that. Yeah. And some people have said to me, oh, look, you need to do more of this, Same. you need to do more of that, and you need to do It's like, yes, I, 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 see, I see the arguments for that. But... Um, that's not what we were about and that's not what we started off doing. And, you know, when everyone started this, it was the place to go and you wanted to be there and you wanted to make it. And that's what it was. And, and the minute money started getting involved and I look, I, I experienced this in, in, I, I'm happy to say this because I've run three Bathurst 12 hours and I did the first one because the real Bathurst 12 hours is not going to happen. And I was sitting at home with, with two broken vertebrae going, what the hell am I going to do? This is ridiculous. We've got to do something. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I won't be able to go to Bathurst and I'm absolutely devastated. So let's, let's do an online Bathurst 12 hour. And it sort of came out of that and I made it happen. Right. And a couple of sponsors jumped on board and it was like, Oh, cool. Wow, that's great. Thank you. We've got a few prizes to offer. Away we did. Very successful. 
Right, good. Come to the second one. I think, yeah, we're going to do it again. Um, I'll, I'll put it all together, make it happen. The sponsors came on board again. Largest prize pool for a amateur online racing event that I think Australia has ever seen. Yes. Um, and and you know, we had like $15,500 worth of, of prizes and so forth. And there were some issues, a couple of issues within that. But, and, and again, successful event. Now, mm. we go to the third one, which was beginning of this year, and we had some issues with sponsors that unfortunately the financial situation of one of our sponsors changed drastically over changing from year to year. And all of a sudden, what was anticipated as being available disappeared. And we tried hard to resolve that to get around it, but it just couldn't be done. And there were people that actually asked, what is the prize pool? Uh, yeah, before they put in their entry before, and yeah. i was sort of going but don't you want to be in the event what who matters what the, you know, oh yeah okay yeah, yeah we'll do it and then after the event there were others that said oh it's pretty expensive um pretty expensive entry fee to to um not win anything it's like um you know you thought you said hang on I, I it was very plain i told you ten dollars was for um charity so that that took ten out of the fifty away. Then, you know, the broadcast costs this amount of dollars. So there's X amount of dollars at the end. We give we, we bring in a couple of people that we we pay like a hundred dollars or fifty dollars to, and that's it. It's the money's basically gone. There's there's yeah, nothing left at more, the end. It's like the more you give them, the more they expect. Yeah, and it's like, and I was willing to, show, and I, I put out the receipts for the what we gave to the to the charity, and OSR actually topped up to round it out topped up by an extra 80 bucks on top of that just to give it a round figure of $400 um, and, and away we went and, but it was it's, it's like there was this expectation that because last year we had been able to amass a prize pool this year it was expected it should be the same and there were complaints and people who chose not mm. to race because the prize pool wasn't there and it was that was actually that took a lot of windy out of my sails to even want to do it again next year yeah and, people, know, I think, find, wow. people are pretty fickle yeah, and I, even that, like, that was disappointing. Even like, so once or twice a year, I do the Tin Top Cup normally at Christmas. Um, free entry, free broadcast, two hour. Oh, it's just under two hours. Like, um, it's about an hour 30 solo endurance race. Like, normally well supported, yep. but yep. free. All I've got to do is fill out the entry form, and that's mainly just for admin paperwork side of things and for the league access and all that. And you'll get 50 people will fill out the form, and you'll get. 35 on the day yep yeah <laughs> they're just so fickle and we see it with new cars like obviously every time there's in like it just amazes me because um it's an interesting space the sim racing world and it's how it changes <laughs> so quickly yeah like the speed at which it it's like nothing else i've seen i i, I think it's kind of a victim of the fact that we probably have in the past, sim racing was for people who were, it was less known, and you had to have specialised equipment, and there wasn't a lot of specialised equipment around to do it. I mean, I remember when the Logitech G25 wheel was on the shelf the first time I saw it and went, oh my God, mm. this thing has a clutch. How good. And you just thought that was the bee's knees. Well, today you'd laugh at it, you know. Yeah. Like a person. But to go and buy it back then was, was over $500. Yeah, um, that's 15, 16 years ago, thereabouts, but maybe a touch longer, right? And so, you know, it, that wasn't accessible to everybody at that point. 
And so it was people who were a little more settled in their jobs, a little bit older, who had the money to do it. There weren't a lot of people that had that disposable income to have the computer to do it and hook up online and knew how to do all this sort of stuff. And away they went and did all that. But now it's far more mainstream. And that mainstream is allowing it to be accessed by a younger, more cash-available um, demographic. Impulse-driven. Impulse-driven, but also that, that unfortunate air of entitlement that comes into it that is, yeah. I mean, you know, oh, look, I've got a 22-year-old son and, you know, five years ago when a squirrel ran past, he was gone, you know, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> soft chasing squirrels. And other. So it, it kind of happens a little bit. And so they go to the next best thing and the next thing and this this thing and, oh, let's go there, let's go here. And so, so trying to actually run a series... Um, and I saw this years ago with series that I was just just involved in, just racing in. You know, beginning of the season, you had 50 guys, and at the end of the year, you had 15. Yeah, because um, it just yeah, they just drop off. But you know, there's that. Let's go and chase this new shiny squirrel, and off we go. So yeah, and it's funny it's people's mentality. Like I kind of never really get that, but it's something that you know, with my league too, I have to cater for. Although I'm. I got a few things in place which I don't get as much drop off as other people, but it yep. does cost you probably like overall entries. Um, but it's hard. So one thing I sort of did want to ask you about as well is, um, and we'll probably start wrapping up is, um, yeah, the sim racing space. It's moved through a weird period. Obviously, COVID. We've seen the boom, and then like now, it's interesting because there's actually been a bit of a drop off again. And part of that is people going back to work. But what I see as well is like. You know, a lot of other stuff has, you know, popped up, which is good. Don't get me wrong. It's a free world. Do whatever you like. But it's actually kind of like in some ways shortened the pool because now you've got more people overall into sim racing. But, you know, a lot of um, like league participation rates, and this doesn't affect you guys so much. This is more an observation on other leagues, but including mine. And, yeah, even like, you know, the overall YouTube views are down and, you know, people are like running leagues with like, 10, 15 cars, which I'd, I'd probably park it up, you know. So yeah, yeah. I, I'd be interested to know your thoughts about that and where you kind of see, like, what are, what sort of a space are we moving into next time? Is it just sort of waiting now for the growth to catch up? Or? No, I, I, I think there's actually something else that's, that's happened. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, back when I started sim racing, like, two, and, and there was well and truly going when I started about 2007, thereabouts was actually online against other people right i'd had sims before that so and there was a fragmentation within like just trying to find a sim racing league wasn't easy um and you know you had titles like race 07 and gtr2 r factor right and you, you find a league and you go racing Right, but but you you get into the background and oh so and so they run that league over there oh okay what are they like oh they're they're mongrels yeah don't go and race with them and you ask somebody else and they go oh yeah they used to race with us but they had a fight with a guy that ran it so they went and started their own league and half the guys went over there and half the guys are here and yes. some of them then didn't want to be involved in them so they went and started their own league up and we had all these little little patches of leagues and you raced within your league rarely did you race elsewhere. And you had 50, 75 guys, right? And, and you, you had a couple of different series going, where you go in your race. iRacing comes along, 
and and first of all, everyone go, oh, I'm not renting. This is I renting. I want to own all of my contacts. I'm not going to join. Well, out of those, out of those hundred guys, you know, that were in the league, um, twelve months in, 50, at least fifty of them actually had an iRacing membership and were racing and iRacing at some point. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was really funny to watch. And I, right from day one, I always said, this is the way to do it. This is absolutely the way to do it because the community makes mods and that's great. But how accurate are they? Well, I don't know. We're all racing. We're all having fun. That's great. But if you're going to sustain a league or a, a, a game, as it were, let's call it a game, sim, whatever. Um, if you're going to be sustainable, you have to grow. And to grow, you have to have money. So there has to be subscription based. And, you know, at that stage, it was like 90 bucks a year, I think, something like 80 bucks a year. Wow. And I thought, well, that's not too much. Yeah. Uh, it might be for some for kids and that sort of thing that are at school. Fair enough, I get that. And you got to pay for content. Well, it costs money to make content, you know, and they're going to make more content. So that's what you got to do. That's just it. That's how it was, you know. And you own the car. No, you don't own it to, to keep it and do whatever. But you know, as much as you ever own it in any payment. other sim, it's yeah, not that's renting. It. Really. That, that's it. It's not renting. It's a one-off payment, and it's available to you forever. You can leave iRacing, come back, and you've got it right. So anyway, so. And what they did is, is then they had the forums going, and I was in iRacing before it was it was in beta, right? Um, you know, so I was in in two thousand and eight, um, and you had this community of guys, and you had a structure and a way it went. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I've got to work at this, and and yeah, I, I got duly flogged on on you know South Boston and Lanier in in um, Legends by guys like Dale Earnhardt Jr. But how cool was it racing against them? You, you, yeah. you got, but I got, you know, in, in a in a twenty lap race, I got flogged by five laps. <laughs> so, right. that's got, so I was whipped, but it was really cool doing it. And then they got these forums going, and you thought, okay, so hang on, now we can have, we can all go racing together. Let's all have a race. Um, we've got hosted sessions. Cool. So we could start a league, and race what we want to race all right so we had limited tracks we had limited cars and all that sort of stuff and everyone's like oh this is terrible this is hopeless this is rubbish and so forth. but what it allowed you to do and what happened was everyone in australia went to the australian forums and you were all in one spot and so oceanic sim racing came about uh, we decided yeah. to go and do it and so everybody saw our post now, our post might have been, each season might have been um, 10 pages long, you know, with the races going on here, and it's at this time. But everybody saw, and it was at the top of the list. So you open up the forums, and there's OSR, right? And and you had um, um, uh, the I Race for Fun guys run by Gavin Sadler, and you had um, one or two other leagues. And, and we were the only leagues that were out there at the time. Everybody came to the Australian page. Everybody saw what you were running. We did Wednesday night V8s. We did Thursday night NASCARs. We did Dev Series on Tuesday night. Right, and away you went. And while that was around, everybody was there. A couple of leagues popped up, but everybody raced. The I Race for Fun guys did oval V8s. They did um, other types of oval racing. They did all sorts of stuff, right? So there was about four, five leagues around at that stage. And everybody knew what everyone else was running and we didn't at that stage there was enough room in a week for everybody to run something on a different night and not clash so that was great right everybody saw it but then discord came along mm. and because we all used TeamSpeak as a way of communicating right 
So that was fine. Discord and TeamSpeak was just communications, a bit like Ventrilo was as well. Okay, and you just had those comms, and that's all it was, nothing else, just comms. So a, a bit like Skype. All right, so Discord came along, and Discord offered you a place to post different things. So you could actually yeah. post photos, you could post ideas, and it gave you an individual forum that you could host instead of having to host a website. To, to have your league up there with a website or so you could do it in Discord for free. And so anybody could come along, form a league. Now everyone's yep. got their own Discord. Everyone's got their own Discord. And we've fragmented again. If you look at the Australian forums, they basically mm. don't exist. Yeah. They're, they're completely dead. Since we've changed over from the old forums to the new ones in iRacing, right, they're, they're just yeah. they're completely dead. Okay, because we go in there for the OSR dev series. We still have our stuff in there, but it, it, it's never more than four from five from the top all year round. Uh, and we used to sometimes have to go to the second page. There weren't that many posts to repost on the dev series and bring it back to the top again. Socials so, has probably done a similar thing because now, yes. and like, as you know, we got run, I run the iRacing Australia and it's a good page, but the problem with that, it's not a forum because so everything mm. just disappears. It scrolls down. Yep. That's what Insta and Facebook are like. Yep. And, and so, and, and that's the other thing is if you're going to advertise an event, I mean, I don't have an Instagram or a Twitter account or all those sort of things. I just, I don't have them because I just, I'm not interested. I don't, I don't need them in my life. Facebook's enough. That's enough distraction and, and yeah. you know, sugar for the brain as it were. So, um, yeah, but all the kids use them and all that sort of stuff. And that's the cool place to be. Insta's for old people now, you know, for, for millennials or whatever, or whatever, whatever we are. What are we? Boomers. That's right. We're boomers, aren't we? Yeah, right. So all that sort right. of thing. Right. But Discord gives you that that free website style yeah. access and I, i'm a member of about 35 40 different discord sites mm. and they are all running different series Same. so we've 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 disjointed ourselves terribly and you know I, like without being rude or i couldn't tell you exactly how many series you run because i don't go yeah. into your discord no and i'm the same and nobody, like nobody hears about what somebody else is doing unless they happen to trip across it which is what used to happen and yeah. we've all gone back into our little groups well i was I mean, when you were saying that i was thinking that exactly i was like oh, i've got like i don't even know how many but it's a lot most of them i don't even look at because yeah. i just don't have the time and like yeah. there's heaps of other leagues that i'm yep. on in there but Yep. I've only really got time for my stuff. So, yeah, so it's actually funny because the growth is kind of actually fractured it as well. So do you think, where do you see it going? Do you think it's just going to be a case of like uh, survival of the fittest and, the, you know, free market will sort it out? Or is there a way we can kind of like get back to like one spot? I think that's going to be hard to do. I, I, I think, and and I don't, I don't mind saying this because I'm not, I'm not biased against them because I, I actually help them out. But what the... What Brenton O'Brien and, and um, Jordan Ross have done with the Pro Series um, has bridged some of that gap, and it's it's I think their biggest plus in this series is how they've advertised through social media. Brenton Hobson is is a, a media content expert. Yeah, and, and Brenton is Brenton O'Brien is very good at doing it too, and Jordan Ross has that. Um, that club uh, mentality is not the right word, but the understanding of how to run a, a small social club and to make it grow. And he's yeah. very good at being able to understand how to promote those things because he's got experience doing it for, you know, like just 
I don't know which club he's involved in, but it's like a local soccer club or something like that. And he's helped them grow that into um, a much bigger club um, through various things that you do. So he's helping in that respect. Brenton's got good contacts and so forth within um, the real motor racing world and backwards and forward and ideas. And he's always had those. He's always been very good with those. And you look at the ERT team and, and how it's well structured and what he gets and so forth. He's very, very good at that. And then you've got, you've got Hobbo, who has the ability to create the media and understand where it is that media should be focused on to attract the people for it. And so the, the, the combination of those things all coming together has been able to create a really media savvy um, series. Now, yeah, uh, I mean, but you've got to have the knowledge to do that. We don't, uh, you know, we don't have a Brenton Hobson in Scops, you know, and, and we've got Jay yeah. doing lots of things. And, and it's the next evolution, I think. And that's how, that's how a successful series, if you're going to go to the top of the tree and, and look, they use race control and they use a guy, which I look at and say, like, I would have him doing race control with us any day because he's very good at what he does. And, you know, I've said, look, race control for one series is enough for me. Thanks, Brenton, but no. (laughs) No, I just can't do that. I will help you with safety car procedure. I'll do that. All right. And that also then just make sure there's a little bit of separation in regards to a conflict of interest. And whilst Brenton and and the boys and the guys at Scops know that that's not our gig, it's not the fact that it has to be done it also has to be seen to be done so i stay out of race control as it were and and just work on the the um the safety car side of things but i'm in there with them and watch how it works right but that's how they've done it and if we're going to do that in a series and the work that they put in is phenomenal i know what goes on in the background just to make a series happen and then what they're creating and um it's like hobo makes it it's not it's not a full-time job but i can tell you it takes a lot of work to have it in and out there and to keep that up and you've got to have the energy to keep pushing that all day every day all the time and they do do that yeah sorry that's what i meant sort of when i said survive with the fittest because i reckon a lot of people underestimate how much work actually goes into it and even though like you know even with my humble little league right it's only part-time but you know five people work on that Yes, everything, including the broadcast. You know. Yeah, it's 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 a heap of work, uh, and yeah. like in days gone past when we were sorry, probably not as polished and understanding of what we are. Scops weekend, my missus knew to leave me alone all Saturday because I would be dealing <laughs> with all sorts of things, you know, from Friday night, Saturday, and so forth, and then into Sunday, and yeah. it's like, yeah, we just write, yeah, you know, we've got to write fifteen weekends off a year, and. Yeah, that's a lot to ask from a family. It's a bit smoother these days, eh? It's a lot smoother. It's yeah. a lot smoother. We have far less issues. But yeah. in the earlier days, absolutely, because you were just dealing with all sorts of stuff. And nothing nothing dramatic. It just had to be done. Do you reckon that's the biggest thing people underestimate is just the yes. time? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and it, there's a lot of pressure to get your decision right. And, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, I'm not saying I'm an expert in... in race control you've got a fairness about it <clears throat> i i the first race meeting i can remember was in 1968 so i've been around a while <laughs> i've been i've been to a few races in my time yeah um and and, uh, and i've watched and racing was different then to what it is now you know there was a fairness and a, a more gentlemanly aspect about going fast now it's a lot more cutthroat and so you've got to allow yeah, for that but point. also come back a little bit and go hang on a second we're not 
we're not just going to let you carve across the track and, and drive someone into the fence and go, well, that's bad luck because I saw, I saw Michael Schumacher do that or I saw Senna do that to Prost at Portugal. Yeah, I did too, and it was condemned then, so it's not going to get allowed now. But, yeah. um, you know, and, and that's... Doing race control is actually a lot of pressure, and you, you hear every now and again the odd race control guy just lose it and go off because mm-hmm. they're being questioned by somebody, and there's always somebody who it's never their fault. Yeah. They were, you know, it's never, it's not my fault. Yeah. Race control, um, it's an art. Like, oh, I've done a bit of it, as you know. And it's oh. like people just, yeah, don't realise. <laughs> I can get nasty too. And people yeah. can get really nasty with what they say and to, how they do it. And it's, you've it's got hard. To approach it. You've got to approach it in a certain manner too, I find. Oh, very much. Very Otherwise much. It'll chew you up and it'll spit you out. It, it will. And, and you see people that sometimes don't, realize just how demanding it is and they get flustered by it and they lose it Mm. Um, and it's easy to do it's really easy to do because some people just deliberately push the buttons Um, so there's that aspect of it there's just the time it takes to to do the administration to get the tracks together to get the banners together to to if you're accepting money you've got to have bank accounts and you know you've got to be registered and you've got yeah. to have accountability and yeah. you've got to have a yearly audit and you know and all these sort of things and then you then you'll get people sitting there saying to you well what happened to the money well that's our money so what's happening to you? i should know and so you're like yeah no, yeah, no yeah. it's not that's the other thing i would say to people like <sighs> However expensive you think it is, right? Like triple it. Cause, triple it. <laughs> right. Even doing podcasts, right? I've been surprised at like, you know, the hosting and all the rest of it. Like it costs more than you think. And same yeah. in racing. Like, and that what they don't realize, what you said before, I was going to actually say when you were saying, you know, six nights a week, you're yeah, qualifying for like six hours. People don't realize, man, they serve hours. They fucking add up, man. Especially oh, over they do. Year. They do. Yeah. We, we plough, and we have always done this, and yes, we've, for a long time, OSR, and, and for, for a little while, scops actually happened out of my pocket. Um, not, not for a great amount of time, but for a little while, it did happen that way, because um, there were several seasons where sponsors didn't come in with the money that was necessary, and somebody had to pay for service. And we didn't have to do too much more than that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were pretty lucky. Yeah, um, well, I've been pretty lucky too. And I mean, I don't worry, I've forked out a lot, but I've got a yeah. system in place sort of like you, so it covers its cost. You, you have to do that. You, you just have to do that. And, and a lot of people say, you're too cheap, you're too cheap, you're too cheap. And, and to an extent, yeah, we were, but that's part of, it has to be available to everyone. If there yeah. is a 15-year-old kid out there who's good enough to be in scops and he can't afford, you know, yeah, 100 bucks, a year because he's got to pay he's got to pay 100 bucks a year yeah, for i it's real and yeah and, and then he's got to he's got to update he's got to have the tracks he's got to have the car or whatever so you know and then he's got to have some sim gear and he's got to have internet um and those sort of things you know not everybody out there can afford that always that well um you know you don't i don't want to charge him stupid amount of money just to go well that's what it's worth i know what it's worth yeah but how much do we really need to do it? And, you know, we sort of, we've done the last two seasons actually operating, not going backwards, but not going forwards either. So we just had to increase it this year and, and to move it forward. But on that point, from that point of well, view, costs have gone up since COVID. Uh, oh, they do. Everything, everything goes up. Um, yeah. But we have always maintained that 
you know, at the end of the year, what's ever left in their bank account doesn't turn into a carton of booze for everybody mm. or, you know, a, a day out of the dogs. Yeah, um, I think it, that's it, the other reason why you guys have been able to maintain so long. It, it sits there and it gets used and it's built up. Um, and People and see. what it does is it will, a small portion of it will go to funding other um, other series that we run. Yeah. Um, on, on the odd occasion where you've had a sim racer who's actually had a really bad stroke of luck, we've we've stepped forward and said, okay, just quietly, we're going to put this back into the community. There you go. Yeah. We've sorted people that see deal that. for you. They see that it's not for profit. It, it's it's not. We just we just don't do it. We don't. Because I, I, I haven't gotten around to it, but we don't even have OSR t-shirts. You know, lots <laughs> of teams have their own shirts that the sponsors yeah. paid for, and that's great. I mean, fantastic. They should do, but. We don't even do that. We just put it back into the sim racing yeah. and back into the community where it's Funny appropriate. You say to that, do so. Because I've thought about that too and people have asked me about merch and I was like, mm. oh, I couldn't be bothered. I, I, you know, yeah. Where am I going to wear this shirt? I'd do it for that. somebody if people just wanted them because they wanted them, but the money yeah. doesn't really kind of interest me. No, no. It, it, it's it's the same for us. We started OSR. Because four guys were tired of the infighting and the politics about who was going to run what series where and how you had to register and you've got to have traffic coming through this site and so forth. We just want to go sim racing with people yeah. that want to go sim racing and have fun. Well, and that's what Oceanic Sim Racing started as and that's what we've kept it as ever since. I was going to say, you guys have done a pretty good job of keeping it like that and it's not, not an easy thing to do. It's, it, it, don't forget where you're, the roots of where you come from. And why you started doing this? Because and there's been several times through, over the Scops period where Simon has said it, and I've felt it. And we've sort of said, "I'm not enjoying this anymore. This is not fun yeah. because it's been hard, you know. And people yeah. have made it hard. And you know, you've sort of a couple of times we stepped forward and said, "All right, we'll just leave that. I'll take care of it for the moment. Just switch your computer off and walk away, and and come back when you're ready, you know. And that's what we've sort of done." It's and good that you got that back up. It is. And we've kept OSR very small. We've kept scops as small as we can because then we know whose jobs, who's doing what to get what done. And sometimes that might suffer a little bit, and it has done on occasion. But, you know, we're all human, and this is all volunteer work, as it were. And um, <clears throat> it, it, it's a case of we love sim racing. We've always loved sim racing. And so that's what we do. And that's why we do it. If you don't, love that then you can't be dedicated to it and do that amount of work just for the love of it and yeah yeah well man i think you've summed it up perfectly there so um <laughs> it's been a very enjoyable chat i knew it would be and there was a Thanks, there's a bit more digging in there yet i reckon a couple of couple of stories that you held back on but that's yes, all there right. is. <laughs> yeah, i'm sure we'll um we'll do another one at one point man so yeah i really appreciate you um coming on and uh having a chat to me and all that. And, uh, yeah, keep up the good work. And Henry and Simon and all the team there, you guys do yeah, a fabulous it, job. It, and it's a, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like uh, the world needs a good America, you know. Like I see Australia <laughs> sim racing needs Scots to be like the best it can be, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for that, mate. I, I appreciate it. I've, I, and I'll always say it's – I might be out the front and it might be my voice that you mundanely drives on that, that people get the, the actual Tom tits with. But there's a whole pile of people standing right behind me that do yeah. equally as much work, if not, and put more effort into it to make it happen. And they deserve, like, 
you know, on, on many occasions, they actually deserve more ac- any accolades more than I'd, I would at all. I, I'm just a guy that seems to be at the front every now and again. So, but you know, guys, Simon and Henry and Jay and, and Reese Gardner and those sort of guys, they put in a tremendous amount of work to make it happen as well. And they do a great job of it. And it's, you know, they deserve, they deserve it as much as, as what anyone else does. Yeah, so, for sure. It's a whole never, team thing. It is, like mate. It is. It's a team thing. You never forget them. They're good guys. All right, Mike. Appreciate that, mate. All right. Thank you, Sue. It's been, we'll it's been a hell of a lot of fun. Yep. No worries. <laughs> Intense chemistry, they expect the list when we sound the list.